0: Oh,
1: Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Steven Sox.
0: And I'm Lori Socks.
1: And today we're joined by Dr. Brian Scottko from the Massachusetts General Hospital. He runs their Down syndrome program in-person clinic there and has also launched DSC2U, an online personal care plan with the intent to bring the best of health and wellness information about Down syndrome to caregivers and primary care physicians around the globe.
0: I hope you all enjoy listening to this because Brian's a physician. And I think that is the community that we really need the support of just for research and for the dissemination of information. And even right at the very core and the beginning of this journey, how do we receive our diagnosis? So this is going to empower you. And I'm excited for you, and I'm excited for us, and I'm excited for our community. So sit back and listen and enjoy our conversation, the first of what I feel like is going to be many conversations, with Dr. Brian Scottco.
1: Hello, Dr. Brian Scottco. How are you?
2: Hi, Stephen. Hi, Lori. How are you? Oh, yeah. we're great. Wonderful. I can't wait to begin our conversation. Thank you so much for your interest, too. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, we came across you on, on Twitter, and I saw an article about the DSC2U, and I just was fascinated by it. And so I reached out. I really appreciate you uh, getting back to us.
2: Of course. Thank you.
1: We'd love if you just tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Sure. So my name is Dr. Brian Scacco. I wear many hats. Uh, one of the most important hats I wear is a sibling. So I have a two sisters, one of whom Kristen has Down syndrome. And in many ways, she's been my life coach. And she's to thank and blame for everything I think in my professional life. Uh, I had this dream. When I grew up, I wanted to be a doctor for and with people with Down syndrome. And I'm so lucky to be able to have that job today. So I am the director of the Down syndrome program at Massachusetts General Hospital. And it's there that I get to take care of hundreds of patients with Down syndrome with my colleagues.
1: Well, we went to Boston a couple of years ago, and uh,
0: we, love Boston. we loved it.
1: We visited Harvard. And um, yeah. Sophia, our daughter, was excited about visiting Har- Harvard. Liam, too. We got Liam a Harvard T-shirt, and that's something that actually Lori said from the get-go. I remember her saying that when Liam was born. She goes, you know, not only can Liam go to college, he can go to Harvard. So we may be looking for some letters of uh, recommendation. <laughs> recommendation from you.
0: <laughs> so your sister is Kristen, and can you tell us a little bit how about how she influenced you? I just remember as a
2: very young boy that my parents would have all of these other parents come to the home and there would be someone that was seated in the middle of a circle and they would be talking all about Down syndrome. And I would be listening on the outside, what are they doing? And the same parents would meet over and over again. And then I started to realize that was a parent support group. And this was before the time we really had main established Down syndrome nonprofit organizations. And I'm so grateful for people like my parents and so many other parents around our country who were the pioneers to be able to stitch together all of these nonprofit Down syndrome organizations. And so I grew up in the Down syndrome movement and I really know life no other way. And meeting so many of Kristen's friends, going to her athletic events, going to the holiday parties, meeting the families, meeting the siblings, I was formed as a human being uh, by Kristen and by so many people uh, like her, and I'm just very grateful for the lessons that I've learned from Kristen and so many others with Down syndrome.
0: Can you tell me a little bit what you mean by the Down syndrome movement?
2: You know, I like the word movement because we're moving. There's things to go. We're not settled, right? We want more because people with Down syndrome continue to tell us that limitations are getting in the way, not their genetic limitations, but the limitations that our society has placed on them, right? And so if we become comfortable, if we sit back and say, okay, we're in a good place, then we have failed people with Down syndrome because we need to move with them. We need to advocate with them. And we have great forefathers and foremothers who have built a strong Down syndrome movement, but the ball is in all of our hands to continue um, to pass that torch on and on until we feel people with Down syndrome could live the lives that they fully deserve.
0: This is is part of our conversation that we have is that what we see in the Down syndrome community on a lot of the pages that we visit are that as a community, there's a certain part that we still carry with us, the limitations that have been put upon us. and, And people believe those because a lot of times that's all they hear. So when their child is still in utero, the negativity that goes with a diagnosis. And I feel like because of that, we just keep, we push forward and carry that with us and then it propagates it. And then people actually believe these are our limits and we see it. So, you know, if this is what I believe, then that's what my child's going to believe and on and on and on. And so I, I love what you're saying because this is, it's so important. And I would have loved to have been in that circle 40 years ago because I can't imagine the conversations because the limits were so much more profound then.
2: I I so agree with you, Lori. We have to set expectations rather than limitations. And those expectations, I firmly believe, have to come from people with Down syndrome themselves because they continue to show us that that extra chromosome has not changed over time at all. But what people with Down syndrome are able to do today in comparison to yesterday is phenomenal. And that's because we, society, are believing in them. And we're giving them the space and the potential, the resources, and the supports to be who they are. And Stephen, you asked about Down syndrome clinic. To you, where this comes from is I'm lucky enough to be, you know, a Down syndrome specialist. I'm a medical geneticist, and I'm trained to know how to take care of all the co-occurring conditions that go along with Down syndrome. And I really wanted to build an in-person, multidisciplinary, one-stop shop clinic that I have at Massachusetts General Hospital, right? And I'm so lucky that my team and I get to see about 600 patients of all ages uh, every year, right? But here's the truth. There's 71 of these Down syndrome specialty clinics around the United States. And when you put all of us together combined at maximum, we could only see about 5% of all people with Down syndrome in the United States. And one of those people that all of us can't see is my own sister because my sister needs to travel more than two hours from where she lives to get to the nearest adult Down syndrome clinic. So 95% of families out there who have loved ones with Down syndrome do not have access to one of these Down syndrome specialty clinics. And oftentimes people will say, well, I don't need one of those clinics. I have a great primary care doctor. My pediatrician is great. My internist is great. We really love our doctor, right? And I'm glad you love your doctor. But research over and over again shows that when you're just working with a primary care physician, primary care physicians only keep people with Down syndrome up to date on less than 10% of the basic recommendations. And this is not to throw darts at hardworking primary care doctors, but most primary care doctors only have one or two patients with Down syndrome in their panel. So it is impractical and unreasonable for us to think that primary care doctors are going to know everything they need to know about Down syndrome.
1: That's right. We always feel like we, we have a wonderful primary care physician, but we do ask her questions. But, you know, specifically when it comes to Down syndrome, we do a lot of research on our own because where do we go for that? So the idea is that anyone anywhere can access this clinic online. So obviously it's it's anywhere. I mean, it's English speaking at this point only right now.
2: We were fortunate we got a grant from the government, over a $2 million grant to create this in both English and in Spanish, which was really important for us to make it accessible. And what Down Syndrome Clinic to you is not telemedicine, you're not gonna see me, you're not gonna see my colleagues, but it is real-time curated information. So we've spent three years downloading our brains of every question we ask families and people with Down syndrome when they come to clinic. Clinicians downloaded their brains, nutritionists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, social workers, neuropsychologists, everyone who's part of our, what are all those questions we ask that in combination lead to some recommendations? So for example, If someone is eight years old with Down syndrome, snoring at night, and tired during the day, I have learned that that pattern might potentially lead to obstructive sleep apnea. And out of my mouth in person would say, we need to consider getting a sleep study test. Well, why do you need to make an expensive trip to Boston for me to give you that information, right? So my colleagues from around the country joined us in downloading all of the decision making we do in person to put it online. And so when parents access this online, They will enter all their questions and concerns about their loved one with Down syndrome, and they will get personalized checklists that are as though you're seeing us in person with direct links to everything that we recommend. And more importantly, they'll get a counterpart checklist for the primary care doctor. Because what we want parents to do is every time you have your annual wellness visit for your loved one with Down syndrome, go to Down syndrome clinic to you, get the checklist, take it to your primary care doctor, and we're going to turn your primary care doctor into a Down syndrome specialist.
1: Now there is a nominal fee, I said $49, which is, I mean, that's a lot of people's co-pays probably for a visit. Um, This is a nonprofit. Where does this money go to? It goes back into the system?
2: Absolutely. There is a whole team behind the scenes who needs to take care of Down syndrome clinic to you. So it helps pay for all the engineers, the help desk staff and people who make it possible. But we also know that Down syndrome clinic to you needs to be up to date because parents want it to be up to date. And so every time there is a new credible research paper that comes out, we're going to read it, we're going to update the algorithms. And so the revenue that we raise will be reinvested in Down syndrome clinic to you to you keep it up to date. So three years from now, if you're living in Japan and you access Down syndrome clinic to you, you should have the full confidence that as of yesterday, it has the latest information about Down syndrome from Harvard Medical School. So what we want to do is really democratize healthcare for people with down syndrome so that no matter where you live you'll be able to get that same level of up-to-date accurate information and care
0: and i think that's important because at the foundation of down syndrome and its perception if if you start getting into the medical community and they're able to support people in a better way in a more up-to-date way in a more empowering way then you're going to see a community also shift in their ability then that's gonna shift in the perception of what Down syndrome is.
2: Lori, I couldn't agree more. I think everyone deserves to be healthy and well, and I don't feel you could be your true self, any of us, until we're healthy and well. I'll give you one example. There is an adult with Down syndrome who utilized Down syndrome clinic to you with her mother from um, Texas. And she said for the past five years, she just hasn't felt good, stomach hasn't felt good. She went to see a lot of local doctors. She went to see a lot of nutritionists and just wasn't feeling good. And when you're not feeling good, you're not performing your best. Her work performance was starting to fail and she just wasn't who she wanted to be. She went through our online um, clinic and out one of the recommendations she got is you should really have a discussion with your doctor about celiac disease. Celiac disease is an autoimmune condition that goes along in 5% of people with Down syndrome. It's where the body reacts to certain ingredients like barley, rye, and wheat. She got the testing done. Sure enough, she didn't have celiac disease. She went on a gluten-free diet. And she said for the first time in ages, she felt better. And her mom said she was performing better. She was just lighter, like that constant buildup, right? And I know, and you talk to any Down syndrome specialist. of course we know celiac disease goes along with Down syndrome, but that's because this is what we study. And we were able to bring that knowledge um, to the local providers so that she could be healthy and well.
0: So let me ask you a little bit about that. So you, um, the parents receive a referral and I'm just thinking from a medical point of view, you know, you have insurance. So when you give a referral, when they get a referral from this list, this is something that then they bring it to their uh, doctor, their primary care doctor, or is that an, a referral? Because a lot of times insurances require referrals in order to get any, anything looked at or any further tests. How does that usually work?
2: So anyone right now could go to Down syndrome clinic to you. And when they complete the form, every parent will get access a caregiver to a personal portal. And in that portal are two checklists, one for the caregiver, saying here's all the recommendations, and not just medical recommendations, but just like our in-person clinic is a whole wellness clinic, we have information on how best to educate people with Down syndrome, how do you teach numeracy and math to people with Down syndrome, what is the best nutrition, what are the life skills? Someone with Down syndrome wants to be their own independent self, how do they learn that? Things about sexuality and education and adulthood and, and all those. So we have that all packaged in there for the parent. And then we also have a checklist in the portal for the primary care doctor Same recommendations, but doctors want it written in doctor talk. So now rather than saying, oh, we need to screen for celiac disease, we tell the doctors you need to look for TTG, IGA, and measure this in the blood, right? And so the goal is parents could use their checklist to learn information, do things on their own, but then they could also take the companion list to the primary care doctor. No referral needed. You take it to your primary care doctor where you're already having your wellness visits, and then they could go through that checklist with them.
0: Do you find doctors being receptive of these lists?
2: Lori, I'm glad you asked that because when we first created this, we were a little bit nervous that would physicians think, oh, here goes Harvard again, trying to tell us what to do, right? And so as part of this grant, we got primary care doctors from around the country to join us in the creation of this. We also had people with Down syndrome and parents help create this. And boy, that was a good decision because I'd spend all night writing this perfect paragraph, and they would rip it apart. You know, parents would say, "I can't understand what you're saying," and the doctors would say, "You know, you know, take out the flowery language. Just tell us what to do." So it was heavily edited by both of those groups. And then we actually did a research study. So we had 230 families from around the country sign up to test those. Half of those families got access to Down Syndrome Clinic Q, the other half did not. And we followed those families for about a year. We surveyed both them and the primary care doctors and the families who utilized Down syndrome clinic to you, their loved ones with Down syndrome were more up to date and had more of the medical recommendations implemented. But we also surveyed the primary care doctors We said, what did you think about this? And this is where we held our breath. But they came back and they overwhelmingly said, thank you, you know, you made it easy. It was, you weren't being pedantic, and that's where we worked on the language. You were being helpful. You still respected the patient doctor relationship. So they could still read it and say, nah, this doesn't really apply. But it really serves as a catalyst and hopefully a springboard for them to engage in that information. We just want to impart that knowledge. And so uh, overwhelmingly, the primary care doctors uh, have told us that they're very grateful for it.
1: And the website that people can go to for the program?
2: We've tried to make it easy. So DSC, the number two. You.org. So Down Syndrome Clinic to you.org.
1: Well, I'll put that in the show notes, obviously.
0: One thing I wanted to address was the co occurring issues that you talked about that are prevalent in uh, people with Down Syndrome. You know, that's a list that is often looked upon and presented as a list of limitations. And I know that I was given a, a little bit of a list when Liam was born. And because of the delivery, there's a A hindrance, not a hindrance, but it's just it's a weight. But I feel like with that list, if it's presented in the correct way, of here's some co-occurring, this is what we how we can address it. It can empower the parent, and it can empower the person with Down syndrome to say, like, if I know that this is something I'm prone to, then we can turn we can turn that information from being like a negative that's given to parents to hinder them to being something that's an empowering tool that they can use.
2: Or I love your point because I truly believe knowledge is power, but it depends on how you present it right and there is a whole laundry list of thousands of co occurring conditions that could go along with down syndrome and people with down syndrome do have all of those but. Every single person is not going to have all of those. And I find that parents just get totally overwhelmed and it all becomes blah, blah, blah as you list everything. Right? There are medical books about every medical issue related to Down syndrome, but I find parents are not reading through all that because after chapter one, it just becomes so overwhelming. What we try to do in the online Down Syndrome Clinic to you is what we do in person, and that is we hear what your questions are right now, we hear what your concerns are right now, and we give you only those issues that we need to focus on based on the here and now. We want to play offense rather than defense. We want to make sure we're thinking about things, but we also don't need to be overwhelming and thinking about too many things that aren't relevant right now. And you know, so much of what we do is not just medical, but it is also psychosocial and psychoeducational. And many times uh, adolescents and adults with Down syndrome do develop co-occurring mental health issues. And we must not let those get in the way. What we don't accept in person, we shouldn't accept online in our clinic. Some people say, oh, that's the way they get when they get older, or that's the way with Down syndrome. No, maybe that adult with Down syndrome also has generalized anxiety. Maybe that adult with Down syndrome has obsessive compulsive disorder. Maybe that teenager has generalized anxiety um, disorder, right? People with Down syndrome deserve to be recognized and treated for some of those co-occurring mental health issues. And there are a lot of behavioral approaches, behavioral supports, but also a lot of medicines that can be helpful. So we also tease apart What does Down syndrome and autism look like? What does Down syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder look like? And in one of these sections of Down syndrome clinics, we ask those behavioral questions like we would in person to hopefully give some guidance so that the parents could pursue some other co-occurring conditions.
0: Uh, Can I ask you, are there any grants available? Because, you know, $49 could be a lot to some some people. Are there any grants available for people who want to utilize The clinic, but just don't have $49, especially right now with the pandemic.
2: So I encourage everyone to contact their local Down syndrome nonprofit organization because many Down syndrome organizations are actually buying discount codes either in part or in full. Many Down syndrome organizations said, we do this fundraiser, we do all of this, and what better than to give the gift of health? So we've had lots of Down syndrome organizations buy hundreds of coupons that they're distributing to their members in order to take that cost away. So first, check in with your local Down syndrome organization. And one of the Down syndrome organizations that has purchased a lot of codes is the Lumind IDSC Down Syndrome Foundation. So if you're not a member of them, I know they're offering um, discounted codes uh, to their members as well. But another thing my team and I are working on in the future is to get uh, insurance companies to be able to pay for this, right? Because it's a win win for everyone. Insurances would rather pay for this. Then have you take an expensive trip to see me in Boston, right? And so we're in conversations with insurance companies from uh, around the country, and hopefully within the next couple of years, you'll be able to see on our website a list of insurances that will fully subsidize it. So you enter your insurance information, you get billed nothing, and we get reimbursed from the insurance company. But this is a work in progress, as many good things are in our community.
0: Can you repeat the organization that has bought a lot of codes for people so they can look that up?
2: Sure. The Lumind IDSC Down Syndrome Foundation. Lumind is L-U-M-I-N-D and then another uh, abbreviation IDSC and then Down Syndrome Foundation. Or if you just Google Lumind Down Syndrome, it'll come up on your browser. They're one of our national Down Syndrome Foundations who really are spearheaded in great research related to Down Syndrome.
0: I'm so excited to visit your program because you're answering a lot of questions like how do you teach someone math? How, what are the PT and OT? And those are some of the information that we try to put out there to the community because that can, like you said, become very overwhelming. And it's great that you have it all right there. It also is telling people that it's possible because the answer wouldn't be there if the if it wasn't a possibility. But there are questions of what the ability is. And so I thank you for that.
2: I would say another thing we found is helpful is not only just giving nudges, but also giving resources, right? So it's not just enough to say, oh, I think your son or daughter might be low on their thyroid, but here's also a link to a free video about thyroid and Down syndrome, and here's a link to a fact sheet about thyroid and Down syndrome, and here's a link to better understanding. So we've combed the internet universe for all medically credible and trustworthy information. And we're going to also deliver that to parents when they need it. Because I hear from so many parents, you know, there's so much out there, I don't even know where to look. And we've been looking at this over and over again. So we could do the looking for you. We could do the searching for you. We know what are the credible, trustable sources for you. And we also heard from parents, no one has time to read anymore, the whole novels, the whole books. So when we say, here's a resource. We'll actually tell you, just read page 181 to 185 of this book because it has the answer you need. So we've been that specific in our recommendations.
1: That's wonderful because I have to tell you as parents, you get overwhelmed. I mean, you know, you probably have had some conversations with with your parents even back then that if I was told everything that could possibly be a health risk for myself, I could very quickly get pretty obsessed about that and overwhelmed and it's not going to make my health any better. So it's nice to get answers.
2: And what I hope is that people could come back to Down Syndrome Clinic 2 as often as they want. So the questions of today, you might have different questions next year. You know, as Liam gets older, your questions as parents might evolve. So I really do encourage everyone, you could go back to Down Syndrome Clinic 2 as often as you want. But going once a year right before that wellness visit with the primary care doctor, you'll find that you'll have a new set of questions because people with Down Syndrome get older. And as they get older, the milieu of different sort of concerns from parents start to evolve.
0: And you would say uh, the difference between the information that they would get from you and then from just their typical doctor, just to, to clarify, that's, that's just something that a primary physician wouldn't be able to act, wouldn't really have the time to access all of this up to date. And yours is going to be up to date and prevalent to what's going on right now, what therapies are out there, and, and whatnots.
2: We want primary care doctors to help take care of the other 46 chromosomes. That's what they know best. We'll take care of the extra chromosome because we know all the other co-occurring conditions that go along with that and how best to maximize life. So we want to make it easy for parents and easy for primary care doctors.
0: What did your research teach you about Down syndrome?
2: You know, the research for Down syndrome clinic to you taught us that parents are hungry for good, accurate information. Every parent wants the best for their loved one with Down syndrome, but we also were able to see there's a lot of disparities within our community, right? Those who live near uh, a Down syndrome clinic, which are oftentimes clustered in the wealthier communities and in the big cities, uh, have access to that information. But we hear from so many parents, and when I get to travel, when we used to travel pre-COVID around the country, I heard from families in so many communities say, But we don't have one of those Down syndrome clinics, and I still love my child more, and I feel like I'm not being the best parent because I'm not up to date, and how do I find that information? I just feel like I'm behind. And that just crushes all of our hearts. And with modern technology, there's no reason why a parent should feel that they're behind. So we wanna bring healthcare to you so you don't have to come to healthcare. And so we're really flipping the table on the way that we deliver health information about Down syndrome.
0: What would you say to those parents who, who feel behind as a, as a sibling and you know, as witnessing your parents?
2: Being a parent is hard. And I tell parents, don't beat yourself up. There are days where you just feel like, boy, I didn't get anything right. And there are other days you feel like you're doing great. And those are all normal feelings. And I also tell parents who come to see me in person that when you go online or when you check out social media, It is as though everyone in the world is having a perfect day and their person with Down syndrome is just achieving milestones. But let me tell you, behind the scenes, they all come to see us in clinic and they're all having bad days at times. So if you're having a bad day, that is normal. Everyone has a bad day. But I want uh, parents to know that there are resources out there. And it's just step by step we get there together. And I'm hoping Down syndrome clinic to at least takes one thing off your worry list and that is ensuring that your loved one with Down syndrome is really getting the best healthcare they possibly could get.
1: Well, I love your advocacy. I mean, obviously it's driven by your relationship with your sister. Um, that's why we're here because of our son. She's 40 now. What have you seen in the past 40 years, changes in Down syndrome, maybe perceptions and uh, of society?
2: You know, when my sister started education, the concept of inclusion was, farthest from anyone's dreams, right? So Kristen was in a substantially separate educational classroom um, for most of her education. And now we all know that it is a standard given right through federal law that people with Down syndrome be educated in with their neurotypically developing peers unless parents want otherwise. So the whole educational system has really changed. The whole way of us uh, you know, practicing medical care has changed. So people with Down syndrome, their lifespans are now approaching nearly 60. And that's, again, not because the chromosome has changed. It's because we've done a better job figuring out how to keep people with Down syndrome healthier and happier throughout their lifetimes. I've also seen people with Down syndrome my sister's age start to be pioneers again. So now they're done with school. They're done with college. They're done with post-secondary. They're in the communities. They're educated. They're co-workers. Um, they're really teaching the community how practically wonderful it is to have people with Down syndrome embedded. But I think one of the biggest changes is how normal things could come. Because Down syndrome way back when was extraordinary, it was different, it was a disability, you noticed it, etc. But I oftentimes love seeing so many families who just say, just like anyone in our family, we don't really notice anything and we don't often feel we have to go to Down syndrome events because we just go to regular events in our community. right?" And it's so nice to see all that advocacy um, somehow dissipating some of the identity and allowing the true identity just to be the uniqueness of the person and not having the label of Down syndrome be present. Now, we still have a long way to go. There's still lots to be done because people with Down syndrome tell us there's lots to be done, but we've had made a lot of progress.
0: What do you hear people with Down syndrome saying needs to be done?
2: People with Down syndrome, um, especially the teens and adults, will tell us that I want to be recognized and I want to have friends like everyone else. I still think there are some barriers to friendship, and sometimes that come from practical considerations such as transportation barriers they might not be able to a drive or have transportation like other individuals. Um, It might be uh, money-related issues that, uh, how often can they go on dates and do they have the ability to do so? Do their parents let them uh, fly from the coop to be able to do things that their neurotypically developing peers would do? So I see a lot in our teenagers and adults, this this urge, this quest for being as semi-independent or independent as possible, which is a wonderful thing because that is something that you hear from, typically age uh, people that age. Um, I also hear from a lot of self-advocates that they really want to make sure that when they get older, they don't have Alzheimer's disease. We know that Alzheimer's disease occurs in about 50% of people with Down syndrome around the age of 50, and they work so hard, they do everything right, and we don't wanna lose it to Alzheimer's disease. And many people who might be listening have a loved one with Down syndrome who maybe is an adult and has Alzheimer's disease, and they know they're not alone, and there are doctors out there and a community there to support them. But I think many of us are working very hard with people with Down syndrome on clinical trials, on research, on benchtop research, to make sure that people with Down syndrome one day will not have to develop Alzheimer's disease.
1: I'm picturing your your space at Mass General, the Down syndrome Program, I'm imagining Every day you go in there and seeing people in the lobby from all over the world, possibly with Down syndrome, being able to work with people from da- with Down syndrome, and it just uh, brings a smile to my face. It's really amazing.
2: Thanks, Stephen. I am so fortunate to have the job I have because... Um... You know the the patients and their families really fill us up with goodness there are teachers i mean the minute we think we know what we're doing we're behind the game so we have to continue to learn from families and from people with down syndrome i have to say during the pandemic we've been able to continue uh seeing our patients through zoom but it's not the same as in person and i can't wait to return to that lobby where people are safely there because there is a, a special warmth that comes from that
0: now, l- let me ask you, because you had, you had spoken to some of the, the wants that you see in the community, and you had tapped a little bit about your sister when she was in school. And I want to get from you hindsight of what you've learned. How did a non-inclusive environment affect your sister? And when did her environment become inclusive? And again, how did that affect her?
2: I think the non-inclusive environment uh, cements in certain ways a differentness. So you are in a different setting, you go to that different school, right? Which people with Down syndrome somehow, some way in those settings, I think start to realize to different levels of capacity. Uh, My parents did not have any other options at the time within their uh, area where we lived. And my mother is a teacher, so she very much knew the school system. And so the parents and the pioneers at the time tried to make sure that inclusion happened in other settings. They happened on the athletic field, they happened in social circles, they happened at parties, and certainly they happened within households. Uh, Kristen was among the first wave who had experiments with inclusion and it oftentimes didn't work. In her case, it didn't work because when someone starts inclusion for the first time and the community starts it for the first time when you're in high school, When people and peers could sometimes be cruel to differences, it was a cruel um, difference for her and it didn't last long because it wasn't fair to her. But what we do know now when we fast forward is my patients uh, with Down syndrome who are about three years old and ready to begin preschool will begin preschool in an inclusionary setting here in Massachusetts. Their peers without Down syndrome will know life no other way. And when you get to kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third grade and you make it all the way up to high school, we will have a generation of classmates who just know that's the way uh, classrooms is. We have people of all different backgrounds, all different abilities who are there. And this is why I'm so excited about the future. The future has to get better. And that's because not only people with Down syndrome are achieving new milestones, but because the people who are co-educated with them are getting a front row seat at what the possibilities are. So this is this is the benefits of inclusion that we have now that we didn't have back then.
0: When did that change as far as the in- inclusion that you saw? Because we know that the law changed to have an inclusive environment and to have the supports there an idea and yet we're constantly having to be on top of it and i know a lot of parents don't don't have the, they don't have the wherewithal it's it's it is a you know it's challenging so when did you first see it actually starting to take seed
2: yeah I think there was never a light switch moment where it was turned on. I think it was gradually played out uh, throughout our country. And as you point out, we're not done yet. And there are still places in the United States where parents have to advocate and fight harder than others. I think within the past 20 years is when we've seen an acceleration of what happens. Because one is you first have the law, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA, that says people with Down syndrome have a right to be in the least restrictive environment, right? An inclusionary classroom with supports. Well. That's nice on paper, but you just can't throw someone with Down syndrome into a classroom and say, good luck, right? They need to make sure that the classroom is supportive, that the teacher is excited and willing and trained to be able to teach to different educational modalities. You have the support systems in place. You make sure that that person with Down syndrome is set up for success, right? And so we still have classrooms around the country, as I hear from parents, where, yes, people with Down syndrome are technically in classrooms, but their with their neurotypically developing counterparts, but they're not giving us the resources to succeed. And this is where you see inclusion fails, right? And so we still have a long way to go, but I think we made a lot of progress because we now know what's the best educational pedagogy. We now know what are the supports that people need. We now know how to support them. It's a matter of implementing them, and unfortunately, oftentimes, resourcing them. And you see the disparities across the country between well-resourced communities and non-well-resourced communities
0: do you guys give uh, referrals that can be taken into ieps because some you know just from a doctor saying this is this is the best thing for society this is the best medical route to go
2: so in our in-person clinic a member of our team is also a neuropsychologist and at times it can be very advantageous and helpful for someone with down syndrome to get a neuropsychological assessment to learn what are the strengths of their learning and what are their areas in most need of support. And from that will become personalized recommendations. And that will go back to the parents who could then give it to the educators and say, here are the recommendations on how best to support learning. In our in-person clinic, we also are fortunate to have an educational consultant. So for families who are in our clinic who can't afford to have an educational advocate, help advocate. Um, within that classroom, we have someone who could be an extender of our clinic to work with families to make sure those recommendations get implemented. And just to be clear, the personalized approach that I talked about with the two people are from the people in my in-person clinic, but those people who helped created the in-person clinic have also uploaded their brains to the extent they can online. So people fill it out. We might say, based on your question, it might be helpful getting a neuropsych assessment from someone in your area based on your information, you might consider an educational advocate, but also here are the best resources in how to teach math to someone with Down syndrome. Here are the best resources on how to teach reading. So to the extent that we could personalize it, we really do try to do that, but we also will name the person or name the the expert that might need to be sought out in your community if you can't make it to a Down syndrome center like ours.
1: What are the future plans for your uh, Down syndrome program at Mass General?
2: So our clinic right now, we want to make sure that we become as stable and as endowed as possible because here's the truth. The Down syndrome clinics that are out there, the 71, not a single one of them is financially sustainable. They all lose money for their respective hospitals. And slowly what we're seeing over time is Down syndrome clinics are starting to close down. And so what we really need to do is to preserve a couple of in-person clinics so that we have people on the ground seeing some patients so that they could upload their thoughts into the virtual reality. So I'm spending a lot of time making sure that I could secure uh, and philanthropically secure my in-person clinic so we have that for time. But our clinic is also engaged in a lot of research. So we do a lot of clinical trials for and with people with Down syndrome, making sure that we improve aspects of sleep apnea, making sure that we're testing the vaccine that might prevent Alzheimer's disease one day in people with Down syndrome. So we very much want to bring research to families who very much want to engage in research. So those are uh, my uh, goals, is I want to advance our knowledge and at the same time secure our in-person staff.
0: If someone wants to participate in the trials, is that on your website as well? Or do you, do you have that information?
2: Yep. You could certainly go to our website where we list the trials that we're participating in. Parents could also go to a website called clinicaltrials.gov, which is our government's webpage where you could type any condition, Down syndrome, you could type cerebral palsy, you could type autism, and all of the registered trials will come up. So it's a one-stop shop if you go to clinicaltrials.gov. And then also that large national nonprofit organization I mentioned, Lumind IDSC, Down Syndrome Foundation, they also are the curator for parents of everything related to research. So I encourage parents just to sign up for their free e-newsletters so you get the information so you're, you're not missing anything.
0: And since we're on the, the topic of, of medicine, one of the challenges of being a mother who's pregnant and gets a diagnosis or even before a diagnosis What do you say about the heavy-handed, inappropriate, and inaccurate advice that's given to, to parents?
2: I hear you. And I know that, unfortunately, doctors are still not delivering the diagnosis in a way that's most compassionate. My colleagues and I, we did research about a decade ago where we surveyed thousands of moms and dads from around the country, and we asked, how did you get a prenatal or postnatal diagnosis of Down syndrome? And The overwhelming majority of parents said what you said, Lori, and that is they received inaccurate, incomplete, and oftentimes offensive information about Down syndrome. We could do better. We do now have up-to-date guidelines for physicians on how do you deliver a diagnosis of Down syndrome in a compassionate way, both prenatally and postnatally. We do have webinars. I've done them for physician trainings. We do have the information that's out there. You know, scattered around the country, we have parent first call programs where parent organizations are trying to educate clinicians and also let them know that they're standing by for those referrals. Um, so it takes a community effort to make these changes, but there's still more work to be done. And so I'm very dedicated with a lot of parents around the country who are trying to make that change to educate. I will say this, there is a research uh, paper that just came out this past year that puts it into perspective. Receiving a diagnosis of Down syndrome is considered a flash bulb memory. What is a flashbulb memory? Neurologists say it is a memory that just is like the flashbulb comes on. You remember every detail. You know what that doctor was wearing. You know what that doctor was looking like. You know where you were. You know what they said. You know the exact first sentence. It is more salient in the memories of parents than an event like 9-11 in the United States. And 9-11, people say, I know where I was, what I was doing, what was happening. Getting the diagnosis of Down syndrome is more salient, more of a flashbulb memory. So Clinicians need to think about how they deliver those words because they will be remembered for a lifetime.
0: What do you say to parents who have just received a diagnosis in a terrible way? What do you say to them?
2: So when when they come to see me, I listen to their story because it's important to make sure that I hear them. And then I say, for some parents, sometimes it's enough. For other parents, I say, you know what? Everyone is learning. To what extent do you feel comfortable educating your clinician, writing a note back to the doctor who maybe said words in an inelegant way or an offensive way to say how you feel and how those words made you feel because oftentimes physicians don't even realize that their words may come across as offensive. And some parents are ready now, some parents are never ready. Some parents will write that note two to three years later. So I do try to empower them to do that. And then some other parents say, I don't want to let this happen again. And they volunteer for these parent first call programs. So here in Massachusetts, we have an army of parents who are trained 24-7 to be on call. So when anyone gets a prenatal or postnatal diagnosis of Down syndrome, we want their clinicians to say, can I connect you to another parent? And if that parent is ready, then we have these other parents who are making the experience better for the next generation. And oftentimes it's translating your negative experience into an empowering one for the next generation.
1: That's beautiful. And I, and I also appreciate your work in trying to inform the medical profession as well, because it, I think it does come from within. That's how we're going to have change.
0: So just for our listeners, there's, there's, those are two great options to, to change, to make a change instead of, cause I know sometimes you just carry it around with you and instead you can make a change and you don't own it anymore. You can write a letter, which I think is so healing and also volunteer for one of these programs and make a change that way. Just pay it forward.
2: And I would encourage parents when you write that letter, sometimes it's getting out your emotions, which I understand. Um, But sometimes the first letter you write is not the first letter to mail. Sometimes that first letter needs to get it out. And then it's the second or third copy um, that has the best. And I would encourage you to say what could have been said, because I think clinicians oftentimes hear, oh, you shouldn't have said it that way, but teach the clinicians. What would have been better words you wanted to hear? Because I think we need to replace a negative example with a a constructive one.
0: Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot.
2: And I would just say to, to both of you, your podcasts, I've really enjoyed listening to them. And we're actually going to embed several of the podcasts into future DSCDU. So when we say, okay, here's this, now listen to this podcast. So we'll curate it. So the things that you're creating are definitely going to be incorporated into future versions of DSCDU. Thank you. That's
0: very encouraging because that's what we want. We want to, we just want to empower change. We've had so many just great guests. You know, the, the gentleman who just ran the Ironman, a gentleman whose father had Down syndrome.
2: Our whole clinic listened to the man from Syria. And it was that was an extraordinary interview. Wow.
0: Isn't he a beautiful human? And the love and compassion that that man has is just I mean, that that needs to be there needs to be more of that in the world.
1: So the podcast is named If We Knew Then. So we always like to ask our guests an If We Knew Then question. Did you have a uh, did you have an If We Knew Then statement that you'd like to say?
2: So if I knew when I was 2 years old that my life would have been so extraordinarily enriched by someone with a different chromosome, I wouldn't have believed it. But now my whole ecosystem revolves around people who have Down syndrome and I'm a I continually, uh, I continue to be a student, uh, and I continue to learn. And life is so much better because people went down cinema in my orbits.
1: Dr. Brian, it's been so wonderful. Oh, the time
0: really went by way too fast.
2: Thank you both. This is really extraordinary. I really appreciated the opportunity to chat with both of you.
0: As did we. Thank you for everything that you're doing in the community and for giving this tool. To, to parents and to families, because I hope everybody takes advantage of it. And we're so thankful for what you're doing.
2: Likewise, thank you both.
1: Please follow us on Twitter at If we knew then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If we knew then Pod, or visit our website, ifwenewthen.com to send us an email with questions and comments.